Hello and welcome back to another episode of AB Side. I'm Ben and I'm here with Ansi. Hey guys, what episode are we on? We're on episode nine. Oh, good grief. Wow. Where has time gone? I don't know. Maybe we should do an episode on time. Hmm, maybe. Anyway, did you get any feedback? I did not get any feedback, so that's a boring question to ask. Can I ask you instead? Oh, yeah, I had some feedback. Um, unfortunately, that friend didn't write it down or type it up or record it. They just told me. Um, yeah, so I should have written it down. But basically, uh, in episode eight, I briefly mentioned the year of the Jubilee in... Um, do you remember the context of why I brought it up, Ben? Uh, we were talking about Sabbath was the topic last week. Yes. And the importance of seven in in How the, God in rested the on the seventh day, and then after seven years, you know, they would rest a field or they would rest certain things. But the Jubilee year was basically the Sabbath of the Sabbaths. And, and my friend asked me, Anzi, do you think this year is the year of the Jubilee? And I thought, yeah, I think it is actually. So I preached about it at the start of the year um, for our press start. Do you remember that video game theme that we did, Kingdom Victory? And I started, yeah, it was really good. I, we all remember because of the awesomeness of the slides. Like, uh, yeah. I think we remember the content better when the slides are awesome. And so I remember preaching on it for the first Sunday of the year. And I talked about Luke 4, how Jesus, he was handed over the scroll and it was from Isaiah. Um, I forget which chapter in Isaiah, but it's basically quoting from um, Isaiah how in Luke 4, he was claiming that title of, yeah, I'm here to set the captives free. Um, and it's, it's I've he I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is the year of the Jubilee. And, and my friend asked me, Anzi, do you think this year is the, the year of the Jubilee? And I think, actually, actually, the more I think about it, the more I think it might be. But I don't know. Like, obviously, um, we don't know the calculations of um, the Sabbath of the Sabbath years. So traditionally, the Jewish people would be calculating every seven times seven years, 49 years. Some people think it's the 50th year is the Sabbath of the Sabbath. Some people think it's the, you know, seven times seven, so the 49th year. Oh, and then it resets all over again and you count back. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the Jewish people have miscalculated because they did not practice um, any Sabbath years, any festivals during the year, of, you know, during the time they were in exile. So if you read back in um, Daniel, um, you will know that, you know, they were all in exile and um, they didn't really, you know, do much of Sabbaths beforehand. And so their version of exile it was basically an enforced Sabbath, which is what we were discussing last week, right? But you don't think yours is a forced Sabbath. I think mine's more of a forced Sabbath. Um, and that's okay too. Um, but it's been uh, an interesting topic. But I do think it is, the more I think about it now, the more I think, yeah, maybe this year is similar to, you know, the year of, the year of Jubilee. Because, well, well, only because of the recent events of, like, you know. Oh, I see what BLM. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, not, wait, wait. Do you wait. not understand? Well, kind of. Um, because I was thinking about this year only in, in negative terms. And, and so I was thinking, wait, how is this? No, I'm thinking more positive. Yeah. Yeah, so go on, explain. Interesting, because normally I'm the more of a negative thinker and you're more of the positive thinker. Ha <laughs> ha, we've reversed. Yeah. <laughs> spent too long too long discussing i spent too long hanging around with you ben yeah socially distancing them. we've flipped <laughs> flipped sides we've turned the tape over omg um but i think i think it's more of the case of this year is the year of the lord's jubilee because when jesus claimed it um he basically declared that he's here to set the captives free um and to give sight to the blind and to heal um, and to free the oppressed. And I think the more I think about it, the more I'm like, yeah, actually, maybe this year is a year of revival. This year is a year where loads of people come to Christ. This year is the year where, you know, the oppressed um, are able to be freed 
get some form of freedom. I'm not saying 100% freedom because, you know, we still live in a sinful world. But the more I think about the year of the Jubilee, the more excited I am. I think that's really cool. It, it, we don't talk about this enough, but... Um, Revival or what? <laughs> no, no. You and me don't talk about um, like the prophetic uh, enough, I think. But, but this sounds like it has a hint of that. But then I'm not the type to be really like into signs and wonders and superstitious type, you know, like I, I try not to read into things too much. I don't think it is necessarily superstition. OK, I think we have this we have this Luke four manifesto that that um, mm-hmm. that I know that we both um, set a lot of um, importance in or, or we both enjoy as a passage. Because it's the start of Jesus' ministry. So it's, it's a very good beginning. Yeah. And he talks about the year of Jubilee and he talks about, like, like you've already said, um, setting free the oppressed and, and bringing sight to the blind and, and bringing healing. Um, and so I think, I think using that as a God telling you that, that that's what he has in, intended for his people or for, mm. for the people of the world, I don't know. Um, this year is actually a, a super positive thing that we can take yes. out of this time. Um, and yeah, so. like I said earlier, for, for me, even like, so like coronavirus in my mind, incredibly negative, obviously. Um, uh-huh. But the flip side is that lots of us have spent time reflecting. Lots of us have spent time with our families. Lots of us have spent mm. time, like you said, in a, a forced or in a, a imposed Sabbath. Um, and similarly with Black Lives Matter, I'm not really seeing the the positive change. What I'm seeing is, whoa, like there's all yeah, this oppression. It's opened and... up a can of worms. It has. Yeah. But I. But that's what's awesome, because um, there's a like we don't automatically get to the place where the world is healed of coronavirus. We don't automatically get to a place where just because people are protesting, they're not, it doesn't mean that things are automatically going to be fixed. So we have a challenge. And like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, we have this challenge to step into and be part of that ministry that Jesus started with the year of Jubilee. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that has to happen. We can't just say, Oh yeah, that's cool. God, what you're doing with like, with all this stuff mm-hmm. and then not not be part of that ourselves and just sit back and watch <laughs> yeah we can't be that that yeah. that's absolutely not um what we should be doing full agreement there but i think i think it's just a case of like it's important in the midst of this difficult time to still remain hopeful yes and we need and to I, hear yeah, we need to hear god's do. voice to do that we do so I think I think that's that's a uh, an amazing um spiritually inspired insight. Um and maybe maybe another week we can talk about like what what are listening our, to God. Listening to God, oh yeah, our impressions of the um the supernatural. Um that would be an interesting other topic. Yeah. And PS, hint hint for more questions. Please send us your questions. Yeah, you if want you us have to talk any about questions something, about it. Send it on. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your feedback, guys. Um, keep it coming. Uh, we, we love to, to have more voices to, um, to provoke us from our, from our two very entrenched positions. So this week, um, I thought it would be more appropriate just to talk about this certain topic based on, you know, following on from last week's reset episode. And um, it was from one of our listeners who has been very good at listening and keeping up to date with our episodes. And he asked me, actually, he messaged me and asked me, um, Anzi, how do you deal with leeches? Now, not the... (laughs) Is it a... What pest is a leech, actually? Is it a pest? It's it's a pretty scary creature, but I don't know. What type? What is it? Is it is it like a sea creature? No, I don't know. But no, no, no. He didn't mean it that way. He meant humans, and I'm like, what? He's like leech. So someone who is in your group work and um, you know, doesn't do any of the work, 
and basically rocks up and claims to have done work, leeches off your ideas um, and is not very good in group work. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting question. Um, It's definitely something worth exploring. So Ben, let me ask you, how do you deal with people like that? So bearing in mind, this person is a university student. Okay. Yes, I think that's that's fairly obvious <laughs> because because <laughs> group work when you're an adult uh, has a very different uh, implication. At university, it becomes different because you're seriously graded. Group assignments, yeah, uh, uh, determine your grades. So the way that I approached it was, like everyone, I'm sure, um, I had uh, some group projects where there were some people that were not very, um, yeah, were leeches. Oh, and by the way, I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I didn't have anyone like that, maybe that means you're the leech. <laughs> that made um, me laugh out loud. Sorry, that was really loud. <laughs> um, yeah, the way that I dealt with Ouch. it is, is I, I assumed that my lecturers, this, is, this goes back to my trust everyone, um, Hmm. philosophy i assumed that my lecturers would pick up on the the different levels of work that went in um that we would be assessed like on our own like presentation our own section of the presentation that we were presenting and it would be quite obvious for like the people that hadn't put any any work in i don't know what the actual outcome was it didn't bother me too much you know it bothered me at the time like oh this guy is not pulling his weight but, like, what grade he got, I don't, I don't know or particularly care. How about you? Did you experience this? Absolutely. There are times when I might be the leech because maybe it's paired work and the other person is by far more intelligent or hardworking. But then sometimes you will be the one that is uh, carrying the team. And I, I know that, you know... Well, actually, we should all know that we all have different skills and sometimes um, we don't necessarily tap into those skills or we don't, you know, that project work doesn't require those skills. So unfortunately, maybe you can slack off a bit. But um, it is it does get a bit annoying when we get partnered with lazy people. And unfortunately, this is the nature of the world that we live in. Um it still carries over from university over to the real world. And thankfully, in the real world, bosses, well, good bosses, should be able to identify who's doing most of the work, who's like the hard worker, who's slacking off, and then um, take action accordingly. But unfortunately, we live in a messed up world. And sometimes the boss could also be like corrupt as well. I think in in um the real world the the stakes are much higher and so people don't really yeah. tolerate someone being lazy in their team in the workplace um that's that's a very yeah <laughs> either either you're going to find yourself um with no friends in, in the <laughs> workplace uh, or you're going to find yourself in trouble with with your your boss if you're not pulling your weight in university uh Again, the point of those tasks is to see how well you work together or to teach you how to work together. Um, so part of it is dealing with, with difficult people. I think, I think that just comes down to, to communication and relationships. Yeah, and I think, I think you can learn a lot from those years at university, those years of doing group work and applying that to your future job, um, wherever that might be. And it's, it's, an, it's an ongoing process. It's not to say that you'll be perfect after university and you're ready to deal with the, you know, the real world and you, know, you can just apply and, en- and anyone and everyone will want you if you just you know, hand out your CV um, and they'll be begging for you. No, it's, it's a lot harder in the real world, actually. And it can be quite um, scary, like a dog-eat-dog world in a secular job I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, if you haven't guessed, our topic this week is work. We thought after after talking about the Sabbath and rest, we wanted to continue the discussion uh, and talk about what happens on those other six days. 
And so you just said something really interesting there. You said um, in the secular world. So I kind of want to explore this, this like distinction between like secular jobs and like church jobs or ministry jobs, because both of us work in ministry. Um, we don't work in secular jobs. So anymore, anymore. Right. So have you, <laughs> tell me about your secular job past. So or tell our listeners about. Oh, you want to know my CV? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> well, um, so I started work from a very young age, actually, uh, believe it or not. I um, used to babysit at the back of a takeaway while my mum was at the front working a counter for someone else's takeaway. Um, and so I got paid just to play with uh, their baby. And um, I watched that baby grow older and older and bigger and bigger. And yeah, and I I think I started at age, how old was I? Probably 10, 9, 9 or 10. This is this is blatantly child labor, but it was just you know it wasn't a, a strict labor. Um, it was more like here's here's some pocket money, you know, and um, here's some here's some you know snacks and sweets, and you know let's go to the corner shop and and top top you off with um, loads of uh, snacks. So that was my first encounter of money, and I remember you know, getting paid five pounds for Friday and Saturday night. And, and like, I remember buying my first pets from that money. Terrapins, in case you wondered. Three of them. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot from earning money from a young age. Did they bite you? No, they died. Oh, well, yeah. all, all pets die. <laughs> no, they suffocated under the glaring okay. sun. Yeah. Oh they, my goodness! I think goodness. they got boiled alive. Oh, so then you learnt about cold-blooded animals, and I learnt about death. And well, actually, no, maybe I was about seven or eight. No, I oh think it was goodness. about eight or nine. Wow! First this, encounter this is of death. pretty deep. I didn't learn any of that from my first job. Did you not? How old was your first job? How old were you? So my first proper job was. I was a waiter at the Walker Stadium, which is where Leicester City Football Club play. Whoa. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was 16, I believe. Wow. Proper. Yeah. yeah so um, on match days, I worked in the sponsors lounge, which is um, rich people, basically. Um, and I also did like functions. So people would have like wedding receptions or... Um, yeah, corporate, lots of corporate, like, parties, Christmas parties and stuff. Um, wow, I never knew that. Your first job was hospitality. Yeah. But yes, it was. you're the... You're, <laughs> don't wanna, I don't mean to attack you, but you're not that hospitable. <laughs> Thanks, Hansi. Thank you. <laughs> well, in comparison to your wife, of course. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although your wife is amazing at being hospitable, so... Yeah, anyway, that job was... Um, you... <laughs> You were you were just a you were just a waiter. You didn't uh -huh. you didn't take people's orders. You just like think about going to a wedding. Think mm -hmm. about how much you interact with the with the servers there. Oh, that okay. They job. just they just give like put out food or like top you know top That's up it. your water. Uh, is yep. that all you did? That's still something. You learned some stuff from there, did you not? Um, what did I learn from that? I learned I learned that minimum wage was too low at the time. Really? Uh, for a 16-year-old. Money's still money at that age. Yeah, but, you know, like, it gets to a point where you're there at, like, 3 or 4 a.m., like, washing the, um, oh, cleaning wow. the, polishing the cutlery, polishing the glasses. And then your parents' taxi service would have to pick you up. No, we had taxis that would take us home. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, that you paid for or the company no, paid for? No, the company for? paid for it. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not learn about life and death. From that job. Oh, no, I only learned about death from pets, though. I don't know what I spent my money on. What did you spend your money on? I Chasing don't know. after your wife. Yeah, probably. It was probably <laughs> all on, on going to the cinema. All on dates. With, with my wife. With, only with my wife. Um, well, she is your wife now, so she was then, Yeah, she was then my girlfriend, <laughs> not, not my wife. So... 
Okay, so you said something something interesting. I'd like to carry on the journey, but um, you talked about work and it kind of sounded like the reason for work for you at the time was money. Uh, so I didn't grow up with pocket money. My parents didn't give us pocket money. We had to still do chores because that was part of living in the household. And so I learned the value of money from a young age. Um, obviously, my dad would pay for the dinner money for lunch, for school lunches. Um, but in terms of like my own spendings, I like I, I li- literally never had any cash like on standby. I would have to ask parents if I wanted something. And bearing in mind, I come from a big household got four older sisters and one little brother so when it came down to money it was all you have to work and you have to save Mm -hmm. yeah so that was my incentive was to oh yeah i want i want to save up for a walkman i want to save up for you know um yeah walkman as in tapes (laughs) that i remember buying that actually oh yeah what what what's a walkman let's just it's that. a tape it's a mixed well it's a tape player What's cassette tape? tape player if you look at our um yeah, our <laughs> podcast artwork what you see is a cassette tape Woo! These, these existed Retro. before cds and they could record um 90 minutes of music on either side people know what it is ben people know what it is don't Do be they? don't be so like yeah anyway so you saved up for some ancient so I, I would always save up and then i would always save up to buy christmas gifts as well so I learned a lot about saving money um, to be generous to other people and also for myself, obviously, because I earned it. Um, but I think the value of money was, yeah, entrenched in me from a young age. And I mean, we could have a whole other episode about money. and Oh, um, my days. Right? Here we go again. You need a budget, Anzu. Yeah, that I do. wasn't what I was going to say, <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that you I'm glad that you're aware of. We'll talk about that another time. Money. Yeah. Um, but th- that's really interesting because um, when I, I mean, obviously, yeah, your fir- I think your first job when you're a, when you're a teenager or when you're a nine-year-old, uh, the main motivation is money, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's more disposable income. It's, it's freedom, really, that, you, mm-hmm. that you're looking for. It's interacting with other people as well. Because I feel like, so I didn't know this at the time, but actually being out in the workforce, um, looking back hindsight, we always have the benefit of hindsight now, is that actually it shaped me in how I serve and deal with people. So you've learned from that experience? Absolutely. Any job. So I've, you know, worked in takeaways, you know, from the back of the takeaway to the front, like working the counter working, you know, frying chips. Um, And I even did other jobs. Like I worked in, um, you know, a department store, the stationary department of the department store. And I worked in, I don't know, Cumon. Um, Not to to plug, give a plug for Cumon, but yeah, I I marked papers. I, um, what else did I do? Babysitting was quite a common one. Occasionally I still babysit. (laughs) Hey, so... Have all of your secular jobs been um, non oh, and teaching and teaching non vocational? Is that the right word that I'm looking for? What What does non vocational mean? Have you had a secular job where that job had a um, played a part in your actively played a part in your identity or your sense of who you were? So my job before uh, coming into ministry was as a teacher, um, and it was it was more than just like what I do five days a week. It was kind of how I presented myself to people. Um, so I'm just interested, like, were your secular jobs motivated primarily out of just the need for 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 finances have you had a job that wasn't ministry focused which we'll talk about in a bit does that make sense yeah i understand what you're asking i think it's the case of um 
what were those jobs like stepping stones in order for you to get to your final destination job is that do, do, do you know what i mean like yeah or yeah did you take those jobs because you were interested like you i'm, I'm sure they were fun places to work um but no but, i took those jobs because they were offered you took um, those jobs because you needed the the you needed the there work, was a need right? yeah. yeah well I, there was a need and then i was free and i was willing um and i'm the type of person if someone asks i will help um so that that type of job or alternatively i worked in a factory i worked in a cake factory for the summer as a 16 year old and that was horrible i hated it after that i hated the smell of chocolate I hated cakes it was disgusting like just the stench was just so sickly like ugh. But um, I'm okay with cakes now. But um, back then, I just hated it because you know it was a six a.m. start, um, finish at twelve noon. Sometimes there would be overtime. I enjoyed the overtime, the fact that I got paid extra working on bank holidays. But I think um, that wasn't because I feel like when you're a student, still in school or university, you don't see that as I'm going to be defined by yeah, I'm working for a stationery shop. I'm working in retail. It's just it, it's like a stepping stone there's, yeah, to there's wherever other, you want to be. There's other things you want to do with your life and, yes. and your job is just a, a means to an end. And that's okay. I think I think there's still a benefit to having those stepping stones because it does shape you. And those are different seasons where, yeah, God is teaching you many things. Yeah, and it's not like, it's a fact of life that we, that we do need money to... to operate in society so it's not it's not to um look down on those jobs i was i'm just interested because i don't know yeah let me tell you my experience of of secular work my first job out of university was um uh, as an electronics engineer um so i was designing guitar amplifiers we had um there's a so we sold guitars as well uh so i was designing amplifiers but part of that job meant that I had to go and like test out, make sure like our new design was working and like sounded good. So um, uh, basically, any time during during my work, I could go. Oh, I'm going to go play guitar now. Uh, need to test out like this thing. Oh, let me check how this amp responds in this condition. And I could go into this room, and it was just like packed full of expensive guitars, and I could just pick them up and I could just play guitar. Um, and so. On paper, that job was awesome <laughs> uh, for for me. Um, it was really cool, and I remember when I started the job. Kind of after a, after a couple of weeks, I was talking to a um, an esteemed uh, doctor colleague of ours, uh, not medical doctor, doctor of of theology. Um, I was talking talking to him about it and and saying, you know, like I. I I do enjoy this, but it kind of feels like, is this all there is? Because it, it felt like I was now on the path to my job in the music industry, whatever whatever like the final end goal of that was going to look like. But it had good prospects. It had, um, yeah, I got to play guitar all the time. It was cool. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting work. Um, but I still felt like, you know, like, it doesn't seem enough. It doesn't seem like um, that's what God has planned for for our lives. You weren't challenged? Is that I what was, it was? You weren't uh, challenged? Intellectually, I was challenged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, intellectually, it, it ticked all the boxes. Like, or, like, not intellectually, personally, it ticks all the boxes. It, engineering is, is problem-solving, which I love doing. Um. It was it was a really great job, and sometimes I think back to it, um, especially especially in the dark days of of, um, of the early early years of teaching. I'd look back and I'd be like, Whew. "Imagine just having a job where no no one like shouted at you or like ignored your instructions all the time. Imagine a job where like you could just sit quietly all day. Um, you got to listen to like rock music all the time. Anyway." Um, it, it felt like there wasn't enough. And so that's, that's what pushed me into teaching, really. It, it felt like if I look back at my life, do I want my legacy to just be, you know, like, oh, great, you designed 
another take on the on the valve amplifier which honestly hasn't changed that much in 50 years like we're essentially just taking taking the original designs and adding a usb port um reshelling it yeah essentially like okay. tweak some tweak some numbers that's it um yeah and so i went into teaching and teaching uh was def- definitely gave me the, the ability to feel like i was making a difference mm. um but had its own challenges of um like a lot of stuff gets in the way of you trying to make a difference in the lives of kids when when you're teaching in a um like in an academy but there's there's a lot of like just extra nonsense that that you have to hoops that you have to jump through aside from like actually being in the classroom and educating yeah um okay yeah so so the it we're, we're kind of circling around this question like is what's the motivation for work and for for me and you in ministry we can we have a very clear like point but god called us yeah right <laughs> but most of our listeners are not in that position no and and that's something that i in fact the way that i view it now is is actually that um for me at least i don't feel like i am strong enough to to work in a secular job like i i don't feel like i can the motivation for for like my what we're meant to be doing in life it feels like not that it's not there because it definitely is there and like imagine if christians only worked in church that would be ridiculous like it would be so it would be your favorite phrase christian bubble um (laughs) we we would be like yeah um but it's actually that i feel like i i can't i need to be personally i need to to be like reminded and be focused like on the direct path straight through like what I'm doing with my time um, each each day and having like a direct, like I can answer the question, what am I doing for the gospel very easily? And that I think that's what, that's part of what, what led me into ministry. Um, mm. This feeling that what I'm doing, what I'm doing outside of my nine to five job isn't enough to build the kingdom and i I don't think i had it all right um in my head at the time are you saying that people working in secular jobs aren't helping to build the kingdom then no totally not totally that's not what i'm saying but it was just you you weren't able to build the kingdom when you weren't able to build let me get this straight you weren't able to build the kingdom when you were teaching is that what you're implying so my first job as an engineer i felt like i had this extra time and i could get involved um and, and i could did, use use you? my yeah and i could use my disposable income um to to bless different ministries when i went into teaching i was really um confident that my actual nine to five work would be directly um helping and it definitely did. Like obviously, as a teacher, um, it, def- it definitely helps. We need teachers, and teachers do more than just like oh yes convey the the information. But it meant that I had no no men- mental capacity for um, for doing work in church. So I actually struggled more when I was a teacher at with, you know, is this what God wants me to be doing? But it all comes back to this this idea of motivation. Um, so maybe to zoom out a bit from um, from Christian versus secular, we've talked about like money as being a motivation for work. But I wonder what is that? What God actually intended, or actually does God does God even want it? Like, is is working important for God, or? That what uh, what my friend told me when I was talking to him in my first job about like I, I'm struggling with with meaning and motivation, uh, even though I enjoy my job, it doesn't feel like it's the fully what God intended. Is he said, well, what do you think you're going to be doing in heaven? Mm, good point. Will we be working in heaven? Because we certainly won't be getting paid. 
I don't know. I don't think we will need to work in heaven, to be honest. So if you think about it, when God created humanity, the, that was, okay, we were, you know, he, he gave us the garden to tend to. That was work, actually. And I think work will give us a sense of purpose and work will give us, like, it's part of who we are. We need to be doing stuff, unfortunately. We can't just be passive. Ha <laughs> ha Link to other ones, um, the other episodes. But, um, but I also know that even for God, he was working. He still is working. Okay. So how does that? We're made in his image. Okay, so does that mean we should be working then? Have you just changed your, your mind? We should be working. I, what do you mean change my mind? I've well, always you, believed in work. No, I just said, I just said in heaven, are we, are we going to work? And you said no. Oh, and heaven then you, argue, now. you just argued for So yes. with heaven, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe we don't need to work. I don't know. Maybe we'll work for pleasure. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I've not thought about it. What do you think? What my friend told me was, yeah, you know, like you just said, the the first part of creation before first part of the Garden of Eden, Eden before the fall, the Adam and Eve were there to look after the garden. That that mm-hmm. was their their job, right? Like they they yeah. had a purpose. And there's this like wrestling with separating purpose from um from from what you do in your in your job, right? Because mm-hmm. you spend most of your awake time at your job uh certainly while you're while you're working age right but it it was a joy for them to be working the garden like yeah. it was perf- it was paradise right it was perfect everything was good and you know they really enjoyed it so to go back to um the the start question actually what happens when you've got a leech, which can, we can kind of like generalize and say, what happens when you're doing something that you don't enjoy? What should you be doing? Because I want to know, like, what, what do we do when we're in jobs that we don't enjoy or jobs that we, um, we find little purpose, little meaning in? Then you pray and you wait until God tells you to go elsewhere. Or opens the door. Well, that's a really generic answer. Well, is it? But it's true, though. Because we've all been in places like that. Yeah. But we've moved on from them. So, I mean, I guess I, guess I feel for me that um, I definitely feel called into ministry. But, you know, I also feel that it was, um, it was an easy choice uh, in some ways, like not in every way, uh, there's there's sacrifice that that you have to make as well. But uh, it was an easy choice in some ways because I knew that it would give me more um, that I I I would be able to step away from that that wrestling with you know like well how can me filling in all this paperwork glorify god or how can how can like how tired i am how um how how difficult this job is really um be what god wants for my life and and specifically in my in my case i felt called but not everyone is going to be called to ministry and also i think i think we have we have a degree of freedom in our um in our choices as well if god wants you somewhere he will tell you to do it um, but he's not always going to be telling us every single, he's not micromanaging our, our lives and our decisions all the time. Mm. So, so what do you do if you're in that situation where, you know, it's, it's again, I think it, it shows our privilege that we can say, oh, you go and find another job if you don't like the one that you're in. But not everyone can do that. Not everyone can do that. Um, I think... A good place to start is um, to practice gratitude first. In that sometimes you can be going through a really difficult stint in your job in this season. 
And I think um, we, yeah, we have seasons of complaint um, where we're having a hard time. Our bosses are treating us unfairly. Um, I feel like a slave, blah, blah, blah. But I think in those moments, you, you really do have to cry out to God. You really do have to ask for his strength. And I think sometimes it's just for a, a short-term season. However, if it goes on for a very long time, if there's like any form of bullying, if it causes, you know, um, emotional, physical, uh, mental distress, then I think long term it may not be good for you. But I know I know for, for a fact that, you know, there is no perfect job out there. Unfortunately, because we do live in a sinful world. And I, I always say this. I'm such a pessimist, short term pessimist, but long term optimist, because I know that in the future, you know, heaven, yeah, it will be a good place. We'll, we'll, maybe that will be in heaven. I'm going <laughs> back like on the, my words now. The most understated um, view yeah, of eternity. Because... Heaven, yeah, it'll be good. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, in heaven, it will, it will be really good because, yeah, maybe there will be a job. Uh, that Maybe there will be work, but we'll really enjoy it. We'll do it because we want to, not because we have to right? If you think about it, while we're here on earth, we have to do jobs. If you don't have jobs, then you're just going to be unemployed. If you're unemployed, no money for food on the table, no bills to pay, no roof over your head. Yeah, you know, I think, I think there's something more than that, though. Um, and I think, I think we can, I think there's a, there's a I have definitely not, not lived this um, through my working life all the time. But um, there is something good about work, about doing, about producing something, you know, about... Yeah, about, um, I agree. About creating or about... Um, being productive. Being productive, yeah. yeah. God created us not just to, like, laze around. Mm. Um, and so even if we're in a job where it's like, it's hard to see the the bigger picture of like how can me working in a dog food factory how can me um yeah as an office drone just like typing away at my computer every day um whatever the job is how can that how can that um bring glory to god or how can that um or even on a selfish or more self-centered point of view like how can that how can that bring me satisfaction? But actually, we can take joy in the work that we do, even if it is um, mundane, even if it is, um, yeah, even if we can't see a, a bigger, a wider purpose to it. I think, yes, I agree with you there. Um, but I also know that we've been placed in different situations, not just to benefit from. We're also there to give. And we're also there to bless um, our colleagues, our, you know, workmates, um, the team that you work with, even your boss. Um, we are there to, uh, yeah, uh, for as long as we're Christians, okay, if we're working in that setting, in a secular job. I know that God puts us in those settings so that we can also be used, right? Like what you said earlier. I liked what you said earlier how not all Christians are meant to be working for the church in ministry. Because imagine if that happened, then there'll be no one out there. And I always say this, actually, um, like I'm, I'm happy for people to um, not go overseas for missionary work. But actually, UK, even your local setting, your local cities, um, your villages, your towns, um, they are your mission field when you are working in a secular job, especially in a secular job, because there will be people that need to hear, the, you know, the good news. Of course, of course, uh, there will be. And, and it's, I think it's important to, uh, like I think of like Isaiah when he, I don't know if this is, yeah, like Isaiah sees, sees the vision um, and, and the angel says, who will go? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Isaiah 6. Right. Um, and like, that's like, we can think of that as like, oh, well, I haven't had an apocalyptic vision and I don't. Yeah. Um, no, but we've all been sent to right. do something. We all yes. have a purpose. And that is to, what is that? The Great Commission. 
yeah, that's, and that that's also what... yeah, it also includes in any any job. But but more than some generic, more than some generic sense, go and make make disciples. You might be called to. You might be the only chance that Gary, who sits next to you um, and mm. works in accounting, like that might be the only chance that he he has to hear the gospel. Yeah, right? you might be so, the only Christian he knows. So don't hear like that as like a generic. Um, oh yeah, like your mission field is is your work. That's true, but that also means that the the specific people around you, um, you have a responsibility towards. It's not just a like, oh, here are some people that I could evangelize to. Here are some people that that um, here's an opportunity. Like, oh, the church is having a, like an outreach event. Who could I invite? Oh, it could be my colleagues. Like, actually, it should be more active than that. It should be um, like God's put these people around me. Hmm. But also, like the flip of that is, um, it's hard, I think, to to see because you still have to do work while you're at your workplace you do you do so those things are important and not to dis- dismiss them because we shouldn't um and we should be thinking about who am i sent to who am i called towards mm-hmm. but also like w- there's there's importance in the work that we do like the the actual tasks that that we complete and not not necessarily um like you said earlier, it's about being made in the image of God, I think. So it, it's not necessarily about our our faith necessarily, but it's about our understanding of who we are as 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 creations of God. And so mm-hmm. he's created us to also create. And that doesn't mean like you have to be an artist or a designer. But um yes. he's 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 created us to to work and to 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 be productive yes um and that's part of who we are and so we should see work whatever it is as an opportunity to do that even if you know like your um your work is completely solitary like you you maybe you're in a job where you literally don't see anyone and like your mission field is like us in lockdown yeah (laughs) well you know you can you can have zoom conferences um Maybe yeah, maybe your job is is as a a one where you you don't have this opportunity to to evangelize and you have some other opportunity to evangelize, but your work is still still important as it is, and um that's what that's what took me a long time um to get right in my head that uh it's it's more about it's more than like what do you what do you do like it's your sense of purpose isn't it it's yes. it's having a meaningful life and i think sometimes yeah our work isn't very meaningful but i think it should be and maybe there's jobs that um that really aren't meaningful like maybe maybe there is like bureaucracy mm. way and that's that's like yeah and as a teacher like there's moments where you're like this is amazing i get to like educate these these people the next about generation right and there's other times where you're like this is great i can help this this teenager work through some of their like their issues i can i can help mm. them understand their emotions or themselves a bit more and then there's other times where you're just like this is pointless everyone agrees this is pointless why are we all like <laughs> filling in these forms why are we all doing x y or z like the bureaucracy or oh, the paperwork yeah, and some paperwork's fine, but like, yeah, there was pointless paperwork, definitely. Well, look at it this way, right? Your complaint. So I find that the moment you start complaining about this method is rubbish, that method is rubbish, I think though you are part of the, um, the work environment, surely stop complaining, work hard, go up get a promotion and make changes unfortunately when you are quite low down in the pecking order you can't always make changes but sometimes when you rise up and get to a managerial position or even higher up you can make changes and I think that is also part of you know us as Christians blessing a a company or an environment and I and I know for a fact that you know God can use you to make changes from within 
Mm, yeah, I mean? it, it depends on your role, doesn't it? If if you're employed to perform this task, then... Um, Sometimes you just have to plod on. What does the Bible say about masters and slaves? If you apply that, not in a slavery context, like I'm a servant, you know, serving my master, but if you apply that to employment, what does it say when we are a slave or a master? So Ephesians 6 actually talks about it, how... Um, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And I think I think that's really important for us with our work ethic is to remember that we are meant to be demonstrating Christ even if you are treated unfairly, even if, you know, you're having a hard time. And then likewise, it says in um, Ephesians 6, 9, as and masters treat your slaves in the same way. So with respect and, you know, um, like you would treat others. Um, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. There is, you know, God doesn't have any favoritism with us. And so I think, yeah, we definitely need Christian people to work. We definitely need Christian people to be bosses and senior positions. We mean, we just need more Christians on this world. <laughs> We're instruments for God. Yeah. All right. So let me let me summarize. Work is something is is part of what God created us for, and we should be able to find satisfaction in the tasks that we perform. And at the same time, our calling, which is different to our jobs, is to go and make disciples, right? Or love God and love your neighbor. Uh, and so we should be looking for opportunities throughout that, and that should be over and above the satisfaction that we find in our jobs. That's it, guys. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode. Um, would love to hear from you guys. We want to hear more of you guys, please. Yeah, please send us some topics to discuss. Please send us um, any feedback that you have uh, to site at thebcec.org.uk or you can find us on social media. Uh, send us a message on whatsapp see you next week